0: Day to everyone out there, and thank you for joining the Friendship News Hour presented to you by Bummer Dude Media. Today is March the 9th, twenty twenty
1: three. My name is Frank. His name is Alex. Cheers. Hey, brother. How are you, How you doing? Doing good, man. Have you tried the tequila versions of those yet, the Thai noons? Uh, I have not. Pretty decent. Pretty decent. I think I, I, think I like them more than the regular ones. Really? Mm-hmm. They're pretty delicious. It's about time they got on that train. Yeah. The, uh, the lime one was good, and the, I like the strawberry one a lot too. What a lucrative business. Right. And then you get like a company like Barstool behind them, and then they just, you know, unlimited potential. They like just blow it up, a huge sponsor like that. And I think they just got bought, actually, Barstool. Did they really? Yeah, they just got purchased by like some big uh, investment firm, Penn Entertainment, for the tune of $388 million. That's crazy. It seems low. Yeah, right. For how big they are. Well,
0: let's see. Man. The remaining stake in Barstool. Okay, so it already owns some some mm-hmm. shares. Yep, yep. So in 2020, they took out a 36% stake of Barstool for about 163 million, and then they just picked up the rest of the stock they didn't have. So now they're owned. So It's interesting, man. These companies they sell, and you never know. Portnoy is an employee now, then, huh? Of his own company? Is that how that would work? Um, not necessarily. So you you could always be. An employee of your own company, if you decide to dilute shares, mm. or if you decide to start a board. Oh, okay. Right. Like I don't know if you follow what happened with Project Veritas recently.
1: Yeah. It did. Yeah. Their founder got like kicked out, right? Yeah. His board of directors ousted him
0: mm. from the company that he was CEO of and that he founded. Wow. When you create a board of directors, that's like the overarching power over an organization to check whoever runs the day-to-day. And if they're not doing a good job, they can they can have a vote of no confidence and enough people vote no confidence, then sorry. doesn't matter that you founded this company and that you're CEO of this company and that you're the face of this company and that this entire company revolves around what you do. Yeah. You can still be ousted. A crazy thing <laughs> Man, that's weird you might have seen that on uh succession which is ending the season oh really is he, oh good you know what good
1: yeah perfect was yeah. that fifth season fourth, fourth season something like that? this would be the fourth yeah, season and the plenty. final season
0: plenty i hope everyone dies <laughs>
1: <laughs> fantastic show i love that show that yeah that's everyone hard. dies good except then. romulus romulus that's your favorite that's what i hope for
0: well we should jump right into it al let's do it i I told a fib last week. Uh-oh.
1: Did your nose grow? I said No.
0: No, it did not. Um, I told you and uh, anybody who cared to listen that it would be the last time that we talked
1: about COVID. Oh, yeah. I knew that one. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> one episode later. <laughs> it did not last a week. <laughs>
0: um, last week, we showed you all this video.
2: These are concerns that this virus was somehow man-made possibly came out of a laboratory in China, studied this virus. What are the prospects of that? There was a study uh, recently that we can make available to you where a a group of highly qualified evolutionary virologists looked at the sequences there and the sequences in uh, bats as they evolve. And the mutations that it took to get to the point where it is now is totally consistent with a jump of a species from an animal to a human.
0: That was April 17th, 2020. That study that uh, dear Anthony Fauci was referring to...
1: Father Anthony Fauci. Excuse me, Father Fauci,
0: was titled Proximal Origin. Last week, we presented on a letter written to Dr. Christian Anderson of the Scripps Institute in La Jolla, written by three members of Congress, and in that letter, the congressman raised concerns over the publication of that paper in Nature magazine. Proximal Origin, unequivocally stated a consensus view that SARS-CoV-2 is not a laboratory construct or a purposefully manipulated virus. Emails made available to Congress showed that Dr. Francis Collin wrote to Dr. Anthony Fauci, quote, I hoped proximal origin would settle this, talking about the Ladley theory. Anything more the NIH can do. Dr. Collin's questions about what more the NIH could do to settle the debate implies that he, Dr. Fauci, and the NIH were involved in the initial effort, i.e. proximal origin, to suppress dissent ...about the origins of COVID-19. That letter written to Dr. Christian Anderson was written in July 2021. And the reason we brought it up last week was because of the Wall Street Journal report that U.S. intelligence, led by the FBI, believed that COVID-19 originated in the Wuhan Institute of Virology, and that prompted our reporting on the matter just this week... The Congressional Subcommittee on the Coronavirus Pandemic has revealed new communication that not only proves Anthony Fauci was involved in the authoring of Proximal Origin, he in fact prompted the drafting of the entire document. February 12th, 2020, Dr. Christian Anderson wrote to Nature to request the publication of what would become Proximal Origin. In this email, Dr. Anderson wrote, quote, There's been a lot of speculation, fear-mongering, and conspiracies put forward in this space, and we thought that bringing some clarity to this discussion might be of interest to Nature magazine. Prompted by Jeremy Farrar, Tony Fauci, and Francis Collins, myself and other scientists have been working through much of the primary genetic data to provide an agnostic and scientifically informed hypothesis around the origins of the coronavirus. So what we know now is that not only was Anthony Fauci involved in the cover-up of the lab leak theory, but it was him and two other doctors that in fact prompted the entire cover-up And we know this because of emails written back and forth between these scientists very sloppily. Now, one of the things that I thought was really interesting in the congressional subcommittee and the documents that they shared was an email written by uh, Dr. Farrar uh, to Christian Anderson for an edit to Proximal Origin. On February 17th, the day Proximal Origin was first published publicly, Dr. Farrar made an edit to the draft. And in his email said, quote, sorry to micromanage micro edit, but would you be willing to change one set from it is unlikely... That SARS CoV 2 emerged through the laboratory manipulation of existing SARS related coronavirus 2. It is improbable that SARS CoV 2 emerged through laboratory manipulation of an existing SARS related coronavirus. The official wording that ended up in Proximal Origin was, we do not believe that any type of laboratory-based scenario is plausible. And that got exploded all throughout publications. We uh, showed you this Vanity Fair article last week with the title, The Discussion is Basically Over, Why Scientists Believe the Wuhan Lab Coronavirus Origin Theory is Highly Unlikely, dated May 8th, 2020. And in that article, Dr. Christian Anderson himself is interviewed, and he says, unless somebody can present the Any type of data that would suggest there is actually a link to a lab. The discussion is basically over. This is the LA Times, also in May of 2020. Here's how a team of biologists, infectious disease researchers, and biosecurity experts put in a report published in the journal Nature Medicine. We do not believe that any type of laboratory based scenario is plausible. Here is the CBC in Canada. Likewise, a study published in the journal Nature last month showed that the virus was not created in a lab or purposely manipulated in some other way and here it is front and center for everybody to see this is how misinformation and manipulation in the media begins and ends there's a really good uh, movie about this called hoaxed i think everybody should watch it i've never heard of it yeah that's for a reason it's very good And it it explains this very phenomenon right here in great detail all throughout President Trump's uh, presidency, Hmm. how things from reputable agencies like the NIH or in the case of hoax like the FBI or the CIA or any other intelligence agency, they provide misinformation that gets regurgitated by reputable media sources. And then that information gets regurgitated throughout the entire public so that for a time the truth cannot possibly be discovered because everybody believes one thing and then by the time the truth is uncovered we're already on to the next mm. uh, i was having a conversation with somebody and i was saying that it would be really swell if somebody like anthony fauci went to prison not that i personally care that anthony fauci goes to prison but i think it would restore a ton of trust in the american public that a leader who we look to in a time of great distress misled us purposefully for uh, personal reasons to cover his ass and it caused so many unnecessary actions to be taken because we had to uphold a lie about the origins of the coronavirus. And now we'll never know where the origins came from in, in, in reality. We'll never know. We'll never be able to go into China and do the research that we want to do and investigate the way we want to investigate. And it would be really nice if somebody was held to account who did something so egregious like this and actually went to prison. Because not only would it, it restore trust in the American public, but also it would dissuade future male actors to do something like Anthony Fauci and his gang of scientists did.
1: Absolutely, yeah. I'm gonna make an example of these dudes, bro. For sure. And the person I was talking to said
0: he'll never go to jail, and America is as yeah. uh, corrupt.
1: as any other nation? Of course. I said, yeah. Well, damn. <laughs> <You're> not wrong. <laughs> what do you think about Fox getting sued for like the defamination? Like uh, for, it's basically like about ball- the ballot company, the main ballot company mm-hmm. is like sure, suing Dominion. them for their claims, of Dominion. Yeah. Like, do you think? <laughs> Like, does Fox have the right to free speech, or do does the, do they have any kind of claim?
0: Well, the 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 key there is is can you prove definitively that Fox News knew that they were lying and that they defamed a company with the knowledge that what they were saying was untrue? Mm. That's incredibly hard to do. Right. Plus, they're asking for like I, don't know, I, like, I think it was like one point eight billion.
1: Yeah, that's that. big.
0: So I don't think that they will. But they might get a settlement. But yeah, I don't. Yeah, I don't know. It's tough to say. I feel like it's convenient to to go after Fox News in, in this instance because of the whole like stop the steal and whatever. But like you you don't have to go very far back to find pretty similar instances of accusations that an election was stolen from Hillary Clinton in twenty sixteen. Like four days before the twenty twenty election, uh, NPR ran pretty much a hit piece on Dominion voting machines, questioning the legitimacy of them in the in the case that. Donald Trump won in 2020, then they had something to fall back on. What about Dominion, right? And if Mm -hmm. Donald Trump did win, what, you know, would there be the same talk about Dominion voting machines and how legitimate they are? I mean, you'll never be able to prove that in in court, but I I think there's a lot, a lot of shakiness surrounding that.
1: Yeah. So it's strange. I
0: I think if you're, you know, like, did you, did you see what Tucker Carlson came out with this week about January 6th? Mm -mm, No. Oh, you didn't see any of it? Mm -mm, No. Okay, real briefly, he was given access to allegedly 40,000 hours of video footage from January 6th that previously wasn't shown to the public. And he was given access to that by the Speaker of the House, Kevin McCarthy. And it wasn't exclusive to to Tucker. Actually, he gave an interview and he said that no journalist, no working journalist has reached out to him for the the video to watch, but also ABC, CBS, CNN, NPR, they're all suing to get the video. And, And he's like, if you want the video, talk to me. I'll get you in touch with my producer. You can have it. But anyways, he showed some video of, you know, that guy that they call him the, the shaman, the QAnon shaman. He had the, the horns, <laughs> yeah. and the painted yeah. face and all that. Yeah. Well, I mean, they literally showed video of him, like just walking around the, the halls of the Capitol with police, just walking, just to- like, like, like he was touring it. And there was like nine police there. None of them like tried to apprehend him. He was just walking.
1: Oh, what the hell?
0: It was super odd. You were like, um, oh, this guy's in jail for four years. He like got convicted and he's in jail for four years, but like nobody tried to apprehend him. Nobody like it was just it was really odd. He even yeah. said a prayer in in like the the floor of the um the main chamber and he like thanked the police officers for being so kind. Now like my theory on that is I think the police officers knew that they were outnumbered so they weren't going to try and use force. They were going to try and as calmly as they could get these people out of there and and you know kind of play their True. game. That's probably what happened. But they also showed like this officer and I don't know his story but like this officer that everyone claimed died on January 6th cause he got hit in the head with a fire extinguisher. But like there was clearly video of him being there and like very able-bodied. So whatever caused his stroke, like they're trying to attribute it to January 6th and the video is like, mom, he's right there and he's fine. Right. So if he had a stroke two days after January 6th, like you can't really like, could you attribute to them? And also like, Can you say he died because of that? It's kind of odd. But I mean, it's like Tucker Carlson is showing video of January 6th. Like, you know, there's going to be a bias. You know, he's going to try and claim some shit. That's probably not like the whole truth. He tried to say there wasn't an insurrection and that it was basically people going on a tour guide. It was mostly peaceful, right? Like mostly peaceful insurrection. Just you got to know there's biases. Like this guy's going to have a bias and you're going to read, you're going to see that. And you're going to be like, well, that video is pretty interesting, but also there's video of like chaos and destruction and violence. So it's like, you got to take both with the grain of salt and move
1: on with your day. Mm -hmm. I would love to see that footage though. That's so interesting.
3: Oh, it's all over the internet here. I'll show you as it was video evidence. It is to some extent, self-explanatory. Anyone could look at the tape and decide what he or she thinks of it. So the tape we showed last night indicated very clearly that Capitol Hill police in some cases, escorted protesters through the Capitol as if they were giving a tour. They did that with Jacob Chansley, the so-called QAnon shaman. At one point, they even tried to open locked doors on Chansley's behalf. Chansley was sentenced to four years in prison for his crimes in the Capitol on January 6th. And the video we showed you last night raises the obvious question, why? Why? on what grounds. The video I showed you last night also showed that Officer Brian Sicknick was not beaten to death with a fire extinguisher by protesters on January 6th, as the media and Liz Cheney so often claim. The video shows Sicknick walking around the building, apparently in good health, after he was supposedly killed. We showed you that video. You can make of it what you will. We also showed you a video that proves Ray Apps, the mysterious protester who encouraged others to brief. He was not considered an insurrectionist. He was their ally. So once again, you can draw whatever conclusions you like from that video. We have ours, and we shared them with you. But it's really beyond debate that it is good for this country, for Americans to be able to see it. The media and politicians, the people in charge, have talked about January 6th every day since it happened for 26 months. And so at some point, the evidence should be presented to the public. In free countries, governments do not lie about protests as a pretext to gain more power for themselves. They don't selectively edit videos for propaganda services and then lie about them in fake hearings and show trials. But that's exactly what happened. And every member of Congress should ask why that happened. Yeah,
0: I think that last part's interesting, lying about Mm -hmm. what happened for political gain. I mean, like two days after or the day after the the White House press secretary stood up in front of all of the White House press corps and maintained that January 6th was the worst attack on American democracy since the Civil War. It's just like, who are you trying to like gain on your side when you say things like, like the the evidence is in front of our faces. We are not morons. Like, what is the point of saying something like that? And maybe, maybe you Mm -hmm. can say the same thing. Like, well, who was Tucker Carlson to say it was an insurrection. Okay. Yeah. But he is a media personality and his biases are very well known. I mean, he's like the devil in some certain, like some liberal circles, the fucking president of the United States. (laughs) And your press secretary is saying the most outlandish shit I've ever heard in my life. You got to rise above it. So silly. So dang silly. Mm -hmm. So Trump, let's talk about him for a second. Heard of him. Uh, (laughs) You might have. He had a speech. There was CPAC last week, which it's like a conservative conference. Which sounds awful. Like imagine going to like a, like a conference for like your industry, but your industry is like conservative politics. It sounds like a terrible <laughs> yeah, right. time. Um, a lot of red hats. Yeah, oh, dude, for sure. Anyway, he gave a speech and in that speech he talked about some pretty cool ideas. And I'm not joking. Some of them were kind of odd. Uh, here he is talking about would essentially
2: are flying cars. Another big opportunity is in transportation. Dozens of major companies in the United States and China are racing to develop vertical takeoff and landing vehicles for families and individuals. Just as the United States led the automotive revolution in the last century, I want to ensure that America, not China, leads this revolution in air mobility. These breakthroughs can transform commerce, bring a giant infusion of wealth into rural America, and connect families and our country in new ways.
0: He called them vertical takeoff and landing vehicles. is basically jet propulsion or, or jetpacks. What do you think? Worth it? Worth our time and effort for
1: jetpacks? Sounds like a lot of bad shit can happen in the v- development of that program. <laughs> <clears throat> oh, yeah, for sure. But you know what's interesting, though, is because he
0: said it. Though, first of all, it's interesting that he actually said it. Mm-hmm. He presented it as like a viable thing. Which, and, he, and, he, and he also said something about China. So it leads me to believe that Check, like... St- somebody's developing this technology and it's coming.
1: Yeah. And we want to be at the forefront. Did not in that same thing? Didn't he like propose like 12 new cities in America ah, yeah, or something? There. We are getting there. Oh, okay. There. Jumping the gun, but I like it. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, so, okay. I'll just real quick. I won't go through all of
0: them. Excuse me. In the video. Um, he talks about developing hives of industry to take back uh, manufacturing from China. He talks about like beautification and modernization of uh, federal buildings and which I'm, you know, I'm all for. He also talked about baby bonuses, which is baby like. like on your taxes yeah, like giving you money back on your taxes just like not like a child tax credit but like just like here's money for having
1: a child not opposed yeah right there you go
0: <laughs> it's not without precedent in other countries there's different countries that have enacted this policy already that are facing uh, steep population decline in order to be at replacement level, you need to have mm. two point one children on average per citizen. I think we're at like one point six or maybe like one point seven. Yeah, so we're below we're below replacement level, which is which is concerning. You know, like you don't replace your population; it's not great for the country. So I, I'm all I'm all in favor of that. But uh, as you precluded, he talked about the building of new American cities, and that definitely got my attention. I've not heard a politician say something so exciting
2: before. Here yeah. he is talking about yeah. new American cities. Past generations of Americans pursued big dreams and daring projects that once seemed absolutely impossible. They pushed across an unsettled continent and built new cities in the wild frontier. They transformed American life with the interstate highway system, magnificent it was. And they launched a vast network of satellites into orbit all around the earth. But today, our country has lost its boldness. Under my leadership, we will get it back in a very big way If you look at just three years ago, what we were doing was unthinkable, how good it was, how great it was for our country. Our objective will be a quantum leap in the American standard of living. That's what will happen. Here are just a few of the ways we can do it. Almost one third of the land mass of the United States is owned by the federal government with just a very, very small portion of that land, just a fraction. One half of one percent. Would you believe that? We should hold a contest to charter up to ten new cities and award them to the best proposals for development. In other words, we'll actually build new cities in our country again. These freedom cities will reopen the frontier, reignite American imagination, and give hundreds of thousands of young people and other people, all hard-working families, a new shot at home ownership, and in fact, the American dream.
0: Love it. You don't have to call them Freedom Cities, fucking cornball, but yeah, man, absolutely. <laughs> That's an invigorating message. That is something I can get behind. Absolutely. A new city, a 10 new American cities. what? Yes, 100%. So the first thing that my mind went to when I heard that is, this guy's taking away the national parks. He's going to, they're going to, they're going to take away the national parks. And really that my mind went there because I anticipated, uh, the pushback on it. So I'm going to show you a, this is a map of the federally owned land in the United States. Jesus. Like, right. It's amazing. So if you're, if you're not watching this or you don't, you're not seeing the video, it's all predominantly all on the Western half. So basically from Nebraska, and Kansas, Westward, Colorado, Wyoming, Montana, Idaho, Oregon, Washington, Literally all of Nevada, Utah, about 75% of Arizona, and a solid like 50% of California at least is federally owned land. Obviously there's like national parks involved in that and there's other different federal lands. But if you look at this map, this is all just BLM land. Bureau of Land Management land.
1: It's like black lives matter, really. Yeah, I know, dude. I love that. They're really heavy on the West Coast. <laughs>
0: Let's Look at all this land.
1: Yeah, that's that's what what are they doing there, bro? That's what I want to know. There's probably military bases all up in that shit. That's <laughs> crazy about
0: Nevada. Yo, yeah, 100%. Well, I know Nevada for sure. It's mostly like has to, at least some of it has to do with the, the storage of uh, nuclear waste. Mm. But like okay, there's San Diego down here, little tiny speck. You tell me you can't get eight to 10 of those and all this. And, yeah, and before right. you push back and be like, well, who wants to live in the middle of nowhere? Las Vegas, Nevada. And that's yeah. like the one of the, that, that's probably the newest city in America, Las Vegas, I'm mm. guessing.
1: Mm. Yeah. Well, there was that one out in Washington that they started, wasn't it? During, uh, during COVID. What
0: was that that group? Yeah, uh, not so (laughs) long-lived.
1: But yeah, for real though, Vegas probably is one of the most recent cities. I am trying to think,
0: what what what, what else? Because I think if you look at a picture of trying to see like the actual land, so here's the strip in the 1950s. Mm -hmm. It's still, I mean, that's kind of, it's, it's pretty developed even for the 50s. But I mean, now there's like, it's all
1: it's all yeah, built up. So much bigger, right? Yeah, It's still pretty developed for the fifties, though. Yeah, definitely.
0: Like like San Diego's definitely changed since the fifties, but it was still a city back then. I mean, it was a it was a main hub for recruits for World War II. So here's San Diego in the fifties.
1: That's pretty developed. I mean, that's that's a city. You
0: know, like there's
1: I mean, there's room for yeah, expansion, for sure. but it's not new. But yeah, man. But like yeah, most cities probably were established in like what eighteen hundreds, right? I mean, some in seventeen hundreds when they're like incorporated Coast, and then they just
0: develop but... from there. Yeah, But yeah.
1: uh the idea of a new
0: city? Oh my god, that gets me going, man. It really does. All oh, the opportunity, and, and so the so the idea is because the federal government owns that land, then whatever you know, they'll put it put it out to bid for developers. Developers will have to pay the federal government to purchase the land, or some whatever agreement, and whatever whatever money comes from that would be funneled to the uh, Department of the Interior for national parks, federal forest, federal you know to upkeep that. I, I can't see. I can't see a, a fault in it, but also I think it's, I don't know, man. I don't want to, I don't want to stump for Trump. And I certainly don't want to talk about like presidential politics at the moment, but it's just super cool to hear those ideas. That's a cool idea. Yeah, It's like a really fucking cool idea. And I love hearing that from a politician. Kind of along the same vein, Elon Musk is planning his own city in Texas. You hear about this? No. He's laying out plans for a new community outside of Austin, uh, next to his boring and SpaceX facilities. And he's called it snail Brook. And it's an entire, I guess he'd call it a city. It's a community, but it's a community for worker, for his employees to, to live and work right alongside the Colorado river. And it's like, I don't know, like hundreds of thousands of acres and, uh, yeah, and he's going to build
1: it. And he's going to build Sign it around his, his factory. I'd live there. Fuck yeah.
0: 110 homes, just a couple miles from the SpaceX and boring warehouses. I, I, I think it's kind of cool. Kanye West and his architectural designer discussed several times last year what a Musk town might look like. Oh. So hope you're not Jewish. <laughs> <laughs> That's a terrible
1: joke, and I'm very sorry. That's really like a five from it. I think it's awesome. Good for him. I don't see Bill Gates doing that shit. Yeah, no, I like the idea. I, I shit, like isn't uh what's his name? He's doing it over in Africa? Uh, it's not T Pain. I don't know why I almost said T Pain. Acon, Acon doing it over it, in Africa. Yeah. He's doing his making his whole city, whole currency, all kinds of shit. He's like actually doing it though. It's not just some bullshit. Yeah, no, it's crazy.
0: Do you see what down in, in Mexico this week?
1: Uh I saw that the the president of Mexico like was tweeting some shit about like Mayan elves that are from the forest. I did not see that. Really strange, bro. He, like, tweeted it on his official Twitter. Now, let me find it, exactly what he said. This The headline here is Mexican president posts photo of what he claims is a Maya elf. On I'm Saturday, last, so this was last Saturday, Andres Manuel Lopez Abrador, is that how you say that? Abrador, yeah. Abrador did not seem to be joking when he posted the photo of Anna Lux, a mischievous woodland spirit in Maya folklore. <laughs> He said that the photo was taken three days ago by an engineer and it, it appears to be in a luxe. Everything is mystical. So that was, that's, I don't know. I saw that from come out of Mexico, but that's all I've yeah, seen. Yeah, well, good for him because two Americans <laughs> are dead on accident. Oh, shit. You didn't hear about this? Um, now I, like, right before I got on, I feel like I just read something about them saying sorry, the cartel. And they, like, turned over a few of their men.
0: Yeah, so here's uh, here's a video that's making rounds this, this week. It's kind of blurred out in the top left corner, but you could see it. What seems to be a, a, a dead person being dragged, limp, and then thrown into the back of a truck. Yeah. So, this person that they're loading up is what seems to be deceased. I can't, you can't confirm it, but. Two people did end up dead from this attack.
1: Damn, just tourists or what?
0: Oh my goodness. So yeah, so it was a uh, some people from I think South Carolina and one of the Carolinas, and they were going to Mexico for one of them was going for a tummy tuck oh. just to get just to get some cosmetic surgery. They had just crossed the border, like literally had just crossed the border. Their car got shot up because it was uh, they, they were presumed to be uh, enemy of whatever cartel had shot at them, and it was a case of mistaken identity. Two were dead. Two were rescued on Tuesday and uh, their van was traveling across the border and was fired on like almost immediately after crossing the border. There was two other uh, uh, people. Their names were Zindel Brown and Shaeed Woodward that were found dead. And the cartel seemingly handed over these people. Uh, there was a truck found with a bunch of, with like four or five cartel members and they were bound ties and there was a letter That read, uh, we have decided to turn over those who were directly involved and responsible in the events, who at all times acted under their own decision-making and lack of discipline. The letter reads, adding that those individuals had gone against the cartel's rules, hilarious, which include respecting the life and well-being of the innocent, also hilarious. And then I just saw that there's now a head out for two and a half million pesos for the leader of the cartel that these people were... We're a part of. Oh, really? Yeah. The, the American killings brought National Guard troops and an Army Special Forces outfit running patrols that quote heat up the plaza in narco technology. Quote: It is very difficult right now for them, the cartel, to continue working in terms of street level drug sales and transferring drugs to the United States. They are the first ones interested in closing this chapter as soon as possible. So, I mean, that's kind of the it's kind of the thing, right? Like, do your business, leave the tourists alone. That's your entire, that's your revenue for the state, right? right. The state leaves you alone as a cartel because the tourists can continue to do their thing. However, it may or may not shock you to learn that there are more than one states in Mexico that are under the same classification as is Iraq and Syria and Russia at the moment as far as the State Department is concerned. This is a map of the entire country and the travel advisory warnings that are given out by the State uh, the State Department in Mexico. There are one, two, three, four, five states that have a do not travel advisory, meaning don't go there. It is not safe. As a matter of fact, there's only two states of like the 35 in Mexico that don't quote me. I may, it may not be 35 exactly, but there's only two states in Mexico that there is not a travel advisory on. That's the Yucatan Peninsula right here, and another one that I can't see. Maybe it's
1: only one. That's, that's crazy, dude. I'm not going to lie to you, dude. I did not know Mexico had states. Oh, really? No, dude. No, at all. Is. I just that's thought it funny. was like different cities within, within Mexico. We are one Mexico. That's funny. Wow. What, a, what an idiot.
0: Yeah. But look, at, so that's Mexico. Those mm-hmm. are the states in Mexico. It's pretty bad when you're in the same classification as Libya and Iran and Afghanistan, wow, and yeah. war-torn and Ukraine <laughs> and all of Russia. So I, like, I used to, I used to kind of poo-poo it when people were like, "Oh yeah, don't travel to Mexico; it's unsafe." Like, yeah, if, if you're not doing what you're, if you're doing what you're supposed to be doing, you will be fine. And also, I mean, it's really unfortunate what happened to, the, to these. Americans are killed it's it's a tragedy and you know it, there should be something should happen about it for sure but also i think i think like these stories get a little bit more attention just because of the the tragic nature of them i think for the most part if you're going to somewhere in mexico like Mexico City, resort towns, for the most part, you're probably safe.
1: Dude, I was going to say, because Zach literally booked a vacation to a resort in Mexico last week. Ooh, do you know where? <laughs> uh, I think it's like Playa Riviera or something. I don't remember what it was. They booked it through Costco, though. I'm telling you, they got deals on fucking resorts, man. Oh, Costco does have the deals. I look at them first, always. The we just booked a rental car through Costco, too, and we're going out to Seattle. Oh, yeah. Super cheap. Did not know that was a thing. But yeah, I don't know. Like exercise caution, obviously, but it's just, uh, it was shocking to see just, just how dangerous. <laughs> It is to go to Mexico. Yeah, right. For sure. Cool thing yesterday, though, I did a speaker demo at the... Wisconsin State Capitol in Madison. Oh, nice! What they're gonna do is put a bunch of like big speakers around like the main area of the hall. But, dude, just architect. I wish our architecture was still like it was like when they would build buildings like that because it's so much cooler than like Man, this new modern style. Dude, it was just inside. It's just incredible, like in- insane, like mosaics and huge pillars and just yeah. just crazy. I don't. know. It's just so nice.
0: Yeah, attention to detail.
1: mm Hmm. Yeah, a no, reverence this, for beauty. Yeah, dude, I literally felt like I was like inside of like the a Vatican Church, like it was nuts. Like that huge steeple, you know, like it, inside of I don't I don't know. It's just wild.
0: Yeah, yeah it's crazy. It's yeah, there's places in San Diego that that are like that, and I'm just like, why, 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 why is there an all glass building downtown when we have this? We can do this. Mm-hmm. People did we can this. Do it, and we right, can do it again. Right. Yeah. Does name Terrence Yiki
1: Yeki mean anything to you? No. What do you know about the Oklahoma City bombings in the 90s? I know that they happened. In the 90s, in Oklahoma City. That's about all I knew too. That wasn't Timothy McVeigh, was it? It was. That was, okay, okay.
0: That's all I knew. I knew Timothy McVeigh was the perpetrator and I knew Mm. that there was bombing. That's all I knew. And
1: then I came across
0: this article and I have to give credit where credit is due. CNN, of all publications, actually did some ridiculous. ridiculously good investigative journalism. And I know it's good to investigative journalism because there's absolutely no political bias or slant whatsoever. This has nothing to do with right or left, this, that, and the other. It's not trying to prove any political point. It is just investigative journalism presenting a story as they see it. I'm going to go through the CNN article because it is really interesting and it raises a ton of questions that probably shouldn't be raised about a federal building bombing. So the bombing memorial is a somber and beautiful place framed by two monuments called the Gates of Time. The 901 Gate commemorates the innocents before the explosion, which happened at 9.02 a.m., and became known as the deadliest act of terrorism in U.S. history. The 903 Gate represents the moment healing began. Some survivors never healed. With time, their suffering only got worse. This story is about one of those people. His name is Terry Yakey. He was an Oklahoma City police officer and military veteran. Yakey saved at least three people, from the ruins of the Alfred P. Murrah Federal Building on April 19th, 1995, the day a terrorist attack killed 168 people and injured hundreds of others. Something happened to Yankee in those hours in the wreckage. He was badly shaken, and his worldview seemed to change. In time, he grew suspicious and afraid. He ran afoul of his supervisors. He went on secret missions, withholding his motives and plans from fellow officers. He seemed to be conducting his own investigation. And then, 385 days after the bombing... His body was found near some trees in a field off a country road. His wrists were cut. His neck was cut. He'd been shot through the head. The authorities said it was suicide. But among those who knew Terry Yakey, not many believed he had killed himself. In a recent interview, his sister, LaShawn Hargrove, said this, quote, I think they murdered Terry because he knew too much. Even among those who disagree on how Terry Yakey died, there is little to no dispute on these two points. One. The Oklahoma City Police Department planned to give him a Medal of Valor for his actions on the day of the bombing. Two, Yaki did not want the medal of valor. Much of the story hinges on why he did not want that medal. By any reasonable standard, he deserved it. Not long after the explosion, a maintenance worker lay under the rubble, willing himself to stay conscious. His name was Randy Ledger. Broken glass had pierced his carotid artery and his jugular vein. Part of his face was missing. Ledger had been cleaning light fixtures in a federal building's child care center a few minutes before the bomb went off. Now trapped by the debris, and bleeding to death, Ledger felt a strange weight on his lower body. He was buried so deeply that someone had stepped on his legs without knowing he was there. That someone turned out to be Yaki, the police officer who was about to save his life. Yaki was 29 years old, tall and muscular, well known among colleagues for his strength and determination. On his way back up, a partner on a burglary in progress call one day, his patrol car broke down. It was over 100 degrees outside, but Yaki got out and ran the rest of the way. Another time when an angry crowd surrounded Yaki, a colleague And the ringleader tried to grab the other officer's badge. Yakey picked up the suspect, wadded him up like a paper napkin and threw him to the ground. He was one of the first officers in the ruins of the federal building after the explosion. He'd already saved at least two other people before he stumbled upon Randy Ledger. Yakey called out for other rescuers and, and together they dug Ledger out and helped him onto a backboard. Ledger drifted out of consciousness. Minutes later in the ambulance, he saw Yakey again. Now Yakey was getting treated, too. He had fallen and hurt his back while carrying Ledger to safety. Ledger needed 12 pints of blood and multiple surgeries to repair his face. He recently turned 66, and he still thinks of the bombing almost every day. As for the official story that Yakey killed himself, Ledger finds it unconvincing. There's too many unanswered questions, he said. Brandon Spann, now an administrative assistant at the Canadian County Sheriff's Office, played basketball with Yakey and knew many of the same people Yaki knew. He said that in the black community of El Reno, a northwest town of Oklahoma City where Yaki grew up, the official story never took hold. Quote, no one believed that he killed himself. Three of Yaki's fellow Oklahoma City police officers also shared their doubts in interviews with CNN. Jim Ramsey won a medal of bravery for the on the day of the bombing and had previously patrolled the streets with Yaki. Here's how he responded in late 2022 when asked if he believed the, what the authorities said about Yaki's death. Quote, no, I guess I don't. I still don't believe Terry did it, said Steve Asser, one of his Yaki's closest friends on the force. I have just a hard time believing that Terry would take his life. Don Browning served the Oklahoma City PD for 28 years and helped with Yaki's initial police training Here's what Browning said about Yaki. I still think he was murdered. A CNN investigation found several anomalies surrounding Yankee's death, along with a lack of transparency by the authorities. Although Yaki apparently died from a gunshot wound to the head, no autopsy was performed. Medical examiners can sometimes choose to not perform an autopsy when suicide is suspected and the cause of death is not in dispute, according to Dr. Joyce Deong, president of the National Association of Medical Examiners. But three former law enforcement officials familiar with the Yaki case said that they thought an autopsy should have been done. When asked why there was no autopsy on Yaki, an Oklahoma City Police Department spokesperson, spokesman, Master Sergeant Gary Knight, referred a reporter to the state medical examiner's office, whose director of operations, Carrie Learned, wrote, our office does not answer case-specific questions. The Oklahoma City Police Department took over the investigation of Yankee's death, even though his body was found inside the city limits and in an adjacent Canadian county. When CNN asked what gave the city's police department legal justification to take over the case, Knight wrote back that he didn't know. The precise location where Yankee's body was found has never been publicly disclosed. And basic information about the death scene is unclear. The police department declined multiple requests to to release It's full investigative report on the case, the redacted two-page report released by Oklahoma City Police Department in response to CNN records request does not say whether a gun was found on the scene, much less what kind of gun killed Yeke, or whether it was subjected to fingerprints or ballistic tests. Quote, there's absolutely no hard or physical evidence whatsoever to support Yankee was murdered. Knight, a police academy classmate who considered Yaki a friend, wrote in an email to CNN, anyone who suggests the Oklahoma City Police Department participated in the cover-up of the murder of one of its most popular officers is engaged in a fool's folly. His car, a maroon Ford Probe Coupe, was found abandoned near Fort Reno Road in, Canadian, in a Canadian county around 6 p.m. on May 8, 1996. A deputy looked inside and saw a Bible, an empty gun holster, a razor blade, and, quote, a large amount of blood. His body was eventually found about a half mile away. A medical examiner's report noted multiple superficial incised wounds to Yankee's wrists, neck, and the inner crook of his arm. Although there was no autopsy, the report lists a probable cause of death, gunshot wound to the head. If the prevailing nar- narrative is correct, Yaki cut his own wrists, arms, and neck with razor blades, bled heavily in his car, and then walked or ran about a half mile into the, either a field or a grove of trees where he shot himself to death. There was no suicide
1: note. That's crazy. <laughs>
0: Right. So it gets a little bit crazier. So he had trouble with his wife and there was like a, like a, they, they, Separated, they had a child together. There was reports that she had a protective order against him and that he violated it, but she like vehemently said that's not true. In a brief conversation last November, Yaqui's ex-wife Tonya told CNN she still believed Yaqui had been murdered. Then she stopped answering the reporter's calls, but Tonya's story was captured in 1998 in two recorded interviews with Craig Roberts, a former police officer who was researching the Oklahoma City bombing. One was a private phone interview and the other one was for a radio broadcast. On the day of the bombing, Tonya said she had gotten a phone call. It was someone at the Presbyterian Hospital telling her that Terry was there. His back was injured. He fell while carrying Randy Ledger, and now Terry needed someone to pick him up. So Tonya picked him up from the hospital, and in the car, she says he started to cry. Quote, Tonya, it's not what they're saying it is, he told her. They're not telling the truth. They're lying about what's going on down there. Terry was disturbed by what he had seen in the ruins of the federal building, and not just because he had walked into an unfathomable human tragedy. Terry was convinced there was more to the story of the bombing. Some other piece the authorities were withholding. He was not the only one who believed this. Federal authorities said Timothy McVeigh, a 26-year-old Army veteran who hated the government, caused the explosion by parking a rented Ryder truck near the federal building and setting off timed fuses that detonated a bomb made of, quote, agriculture fertilizer, diesel fuel, and other chemicals. Two other men were also persecuted in connection with the case. In the months and years that followed, a stubborn contingent of skeptics pursued other angles to the story. Some of them either had survived the bombing or lost loved ones because of it. They insisted that government officials were somehow culpable. It was a botched sting operation, they said, or perhaps the government permitted, even orc- or even orchestrated the bombing for political advantage. This is Bob Ricks, who was a special agent in charge of the FBI's Oklahoma City field office, said. This was probably the FBI's finest moment. There is still something about the case that makes people want to keep investigating. There were multiple reports of prior warnings given to some federal employees of an unidentified second suspect of the Ryder truck and an additional explosive that allegedly contributed to the blast. There is strong evidence that demolition charges were in the building. This is retired Air Force General Brig. General Benton Parton, irrespective of the size of the truck bomb. For his part, Yeeke believed that some government employees had lied about their whereabouts during the bombing. Associates said Yeeke was su- surprised to see so many federal agents apparently dressed in riot gear on the scene moments after the blast and had questions about the source of the explosion. According to his sister, LaShawn Hargrove, Quote, you know how they said the truck bomb blew in? He saw evidence of blowing out, or signs of a blast that appeared to have come from the inside of the building. A few days after the bombing, Tonya said Terry asked her to drive him back to the federal building. He wanted to go at night where he couldn't be easily seen. We 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 did go down there, probably between 9 30, 10 o'clock, and he said that they were going to look underneath their daycare had been. There was something he wanted to see over there and get a picture if possible. As we went down there, we were stopped, and I can't remember which personnel it was, but I, def- I know definitely was either ATF or FBI. Terry had attempted his badge to badge his way through, and the guy told him no." And he said something a little more specific, like, you know, you're not supposed to be back down here. It made me realize that the two of them recognized each other and the interaction was very antagonistic. I think had I not been with Terry, he would have said a little more to the man and maybe been a little more forceful about getting through. Tony says that Terry wrote a detailed report for the police department, perhaps nine pages long. She did not know what was in the report, but one day he came home to the house furious, telling her that the report had been disappeared. And now his superiors were telling him to write another report, only one page long, leaving out most of what he'd written before. About two weeks after the bombing, she says, she got a phone call from one of Terry's supervisors, quote, and she had been pretty hostile, pretty aggressive, and asked me where Terry was. She said, you tell Terry if he doesn't get that other report in that he's going to be reprimanded. And then here's where it gets really interesting. This is the day that he died. Uh, And the final weeks... Of his life, Terry seemed afraid. Tonya said that he showed up at her house at odd hours trying to make plans. He wanted me to leave in the middle of the night with him. Right then, he said, we need to get remarried. Don't ask me questions. This is the only way I can make sure that you and the girls are taken care of in the event that something happens to me. Tonya said she reported his behavior to the police. He did not appear suicidal and she did not accuse him of violating a protective order, but she was worried about him because he had been saying his days were numbered. One day in May, 1996, he showed up at her house and put a VCR in her car without explaining why. The VCR had a tape in it but she did not get a chance to watch it. Terry was talking about insurance papers and he left, said he would be back, but she never saw him again.
1: Is this a new article or is this been a- Yeah, brand new? They just wrote this. Oh, wow. that surprised me for CNN. I know.
0: So anyway, he had uh purposefully left his gun at home because he didn't want that gun to be connected to anything that might happen to him. On the last day of his life, uh, Yeki was talking about an appointment from his description uh, of the men he was supposed to meet. She believed that they were the same two men he had been uh, at her house with. The men from the task force seemed keenly interested in the evidence about the bombing. They wanted Terry to bring whatever he had gathered, pictures, videos, documents, etc. cetera. Yiki Ye- seemed conflicted about whether to go meet the men. He sensed danger and these misgivings led him to take a strange precaution. McDonald said Yiki went to the meeting unarmed so no one could use his own gun against him. On the other hand, if the men were really investigating the bombing, this could be Yiki's big chance. Finally, someone with authority is going to listen to him. He decided to bring the evidence, McDonald said. The, the men wanted to meet Yiki in El Reno at or near the federal prison. Yiki left uh, a house, apparently on his way to the meeting, and, and he was never seen again. It was, it was later that day when someone called to say that he was dead.
1: Damn, bro. They're like, deliver us all the evidence you have, and then we're going to kill you.
0: And we're going to kill you. And then that VCR that he brought to his ex-wife's house was... Stolen in a burglary. So after Terry's death, uh Tonya, his ex-wife, said she saw signs of burglary at her home. She noticed various items out of place. Terry had left a VCR for her, but it disappeared. She never got a chance to see what was on the tape. Uh-huh. Likewise, Ramona McDonald said that her house was burglarized after Yuki's death. Much of her bombing related evidence was taken. When Terry's family visited his apartment after his death, it looked like it had been ransacked. There were papers scattered around. His sister LaShawn said you could tell somebody had been in there like looking for something. Most troubling of all was the condition of Terry's body, although the available medical examiners reported described only a gunshot wound to the head and superficial cuts elsewhere. Tonya said that within the law enforcement community, the uh, told her Terry's body showed evidence of having either been tied or handcuffed and having been dragged across the ground. She said she was told Terry had bruises on his wrist, rope burns on his ankle, dirt and grass in his wounds. Dude, this guy got murdered. A 100% murdered. This guy got murdered. A hundred percent murdered. So I know I just read a lot and I I honestly did not remember this article being that that long, but I think I was just so engrossed with it when I first read it because it's such an interesting story. This guy, seemingly a hero in the Oklahoma City uh, uh, bombings, had taken issue with what he saw and he doesn't think that whatever they're saying about what happened that day was true. And it took him aback so much that he began to start his own investigation into what happened and people didn't like that he was investigating it and he got murdered because he knew something or he was onto something and he was gathering evidence for it. What the fuck could he have known? Are
1: you a nine eleven believer? What do you think about that whole scenario? <sighs> I'm just saying, bro. This looks like an earlier orchestrated version. If this if this kind of story came out about nine eleven later on, I mean, I don't know. I don't. Know. Who I don't know. was the president when this happened? Clinton. Okay, never mind. That that kills my Bush theory. I don't know, dude. Um, way too sus. Yeah.
0: Way too sus. And good on CNN, man. Fucking awesome story.
1: It is CNN. Yeah. yeah. Um, that's surprising. That's why I asked you. I'm like, is this like an older story that just hasn't been covered in no, years? No, man. Years this years came, years came years out last week.
0: Yeah. Um, I, I hope this. I don't know. I hope this doesn't turn out to be like incredibly boring on the actual podcast because we were reading through it, kind of here we could read it. But um, if you're interested and you want to read it for yourself, the story is titled "Why Did This Cop Turn Up Dead?" A heroic police officer rescued at least three people after the 1995 Oklahoma City bombing. A year later, he was found shot in the head. Uh, It was written by
1: Thomas Lake That sounds like something we should put on our Twitter, Frank Now that we're blue check verified Yeah, you bet, man That's pretty cool I saw that and it made me feel It gave me a little tingle (sighs) Hell yeah (laughs) Verification, doggy Yeah, we should start posting more of the articles up there People can see what the fuck we're talking about
0: Yeah, you bet Uh, All right, well, let's get out of here I gotta go feed my family
1: what are the um, links
0: then, Frank? Twitter. Just talk about it. At Friends of mm. uh, Instagram, TikTok, same handle, Friends of NewsHour, and email, bummerdude.media at at gmail.com. And we'll see you when we see ya. Adios.